On June 20th, 2006, a 21-year-old nurse attends a pub with her friends. She leaves the pub around 11 p.m. and is never seen again. Mysterious text messages and mysterious phone calls follow, but her body is later found. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Frauke Liebs. wird seit Dienstagabend eine junge Frau vermisst, die 21-jährige Frau Geliebs. Ich wusste, irgendwas ist passiert. Auf einmal vibrierte mein Handy. Bist du festgehalten? Ja. Nein. Nein. Wer ist bei dir? Kann ich dir nicht sagen. Irgendwie wird sie probiert haben. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist. Basement, somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. So, Coach and I took a little breather during the Thanksgiving break. It was nice. How did you enjoy your Thanksgiving, sir? It went too fast. I went to Nashville, had a good time. But other than that, man, and phew, it was like... Blinked and it was over. Blinked and it was over, yeah. yeah. It was amazing how quick it went by. We uh, We got some patrons to shout out. We got a... LJ Linson at the $10 tier. Just the artist known as Gina at the $1 shout out. And Samantha Zaziski is back. She said, quote, I'm a broke ass. And of all the podcasts I follow, y'all are the only ones I'm willing to give money to. So thank you, Samantha. Thank you very, very, very much. We are looking That's at amazing. getting some... Christmas presents out to y'all. I know I've kind of hinted around, but I've actually got the envelopes now. I just have to go to the post office and pester Mr. Ed Butler to put 90-cent stamps on every one of them. So, Mr. Ed, if you're listening, get ready, buddy. I'm going to have a box full of little envelopes. I was trying to think if there was anything. Oh, we did get some traction on our Billie Jean episode, episode number 16 in the archives. Uh, we are going to revisit that case probably next week. Uh, there were some things we were very green, wet behind the ears, didn't know what we were doing. So we decided that we, since we've got some traction in northwest Arkansas, we're going to redo that one. Um, there's some things in there that we kind of said that were misconstrued. So we want to make sure that everyone knows that we have the utmost respect for Miss Billy Jean. And we meant no disrespect when we first recorded. And I went back and read the notes. And it is, it, I see where you can infer that we were not being as kind as we should have been. And at no point will you ever hear us victim blame. And if that's what you thought, please accept our apology. We are going to fix that. But, yeah, we, we were we were kind of new at the time. And we were just trying to be entertaining, you know. Yeah, we've given up the entertainment business now. yeah we kind of did <laughs> but <laughs> we were trying to be entertaining and yeah it kind of i could see how it'd be misconstrued but yeah but we definitely don't do that anymore that's correct we have a listener out in arkansas i'm not going to release the name because i cannot remember what his 
stage name is, and I would hate to unveil him, but he has reached out to us about a case that he is going to do a serial podcast on, and so we may preview that with him. That's coming up within, I'd say, at least the next month. Uh, it's another unsolved murder in Arkansas. I know that's a shocker for everyone that there's an unsolved murder in Arkansas. But, Coach, you got anything else? You got any five-star reviews? I think we had one, didn't we? I thought we did have one, didn't we? Let's see if I can pull it up. We have to edit it. Man, let's go. Let's give them all the bills. Ness. Where was the one? I sent you there one. It you sent me one. I sent you one. You didn't send me nothing. Well, no, I sent one where? Oh, no, that was Miss Clifton giving us the... Miss Clifton's always good to us. He's, she's like, hey, geniuses, why don't y'all try this? Uh, there was. Go ahead. I'm, there was something I sent you that somebody gave us a... Five-star review, my new favorite podcast. I listen to several true crime podcasts, and you are my new favorite. Thank you for all the laughs. Heather from Philly. The city of brotherly love. I've actually been to Philadelphia. Thank you very much, Heather. You are awesome. Keep listening. Philadelphia yes. is not a bad city. They get a bad rap with their sports fans, which their sports fans are bad. They are. They'll throw shit at you. <laughs> yeah, they'll throw some batteries at you, but the rest of the people in that city are pretty damn nice. Well, the other one was not really a five-star review. Well, she said, consider this my five-star review. Best plus most hilarious podcast. I think more rednecks need to do podcast. Y'all need to do one on the boys on the tracks, crazy Arkansas conspiracy, Clinton body count, and Fami Malik. Yep, oh Fami, and that is from Miss Rebecca Rockenhouse. So yeah, we we do love to shit on Fami. I love, I, you know, I love a good Fami story about how the dogs eat the. He could have his own series of podcasts, the exploits of Fami Malik. Yeah, and if you don't know. Already, True Crime Garage has a T-shirt with his face on there. <laughs> something to do with, are you a Fami or did you Fami it or something like that. So, yeah, he could. We're just going through. We did one episode out there where we kind of touched on what a goofball he was and listed some of the causes of death that he had come up with. But anyway, that's enough of the boils and nails. So let's get after it. We are talking. Hey, this is a. Like, I just don't understand this case at all. Like, the thought process behind whomever perpetrated it just really boggles my mind. It's a little weird. Now, I've been kind of holding this one back for a while just because we don't have access to what I had told Coach was kind of like the German Reddit. This lady's case has, what I tell you, 360 pages? Something like that, yeah. yeah. If you speak German, you can do as much research on this case as humanly possible. Yeah, I could not get the old Google Translate machine to translate the message board. I did get some articles translated, so that's where we got some of our information from, as well as the old Reddit. So, Miss Frauke Liebs was a 21-year-old student nurse who was headed out to watch some of the FIFA World Cup. At Paderborn, Germany, not at Paderborn, but at a pub in Paderborn, Germany, on June twentieth of two thousand and six. Now, did you plan this out to be for us to be covering this case <laughs> during the because that's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. I didn't I just, think about it till you just said. I didn't even like. I didn't either. It didn't even I, play for me till you said it just now. I didn't either. I was reading it. And I was like, "Well, looky there." But anyway, now Paderborn lies on. You guessed it, the Patter River, which is 60 
miles east northeast of Dortmund. Now, Ms. Leaves had met her mom and her flatmate at a restaurant during the afternoon of Tuesday, June 20th. While she was there, she got a text from a friend and arranged to meet her and some other friends in an Irish pub in downtown Paderborn to watch the FIFA World Cup match between England and Sweden. Her mom dropped her off at the pub around 9 p.m. During the Sweden-England match, she exchanged text messages with an acquaintance until the battery on her cell phone ran out. She then borrowed the battery from her friend's phone, and that's dating phones, when we used to just pop out the old battery of your Nokia after playing Snake for hours. Yeah, could you imagine somebody like, hey, man, let me borrow your iPhone battery. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. How? <laughs> I remember when I had the old Nokia, I think I had two spare batteries, and I bought the old multiple charger and everything. Those things were like bricks. You couldn't break them. Now, about 11 p.m., she returns her friend's battery and heads out, says her goodbyes, and headed home, according to her friends. Now, it is assumed that she walked home because she was said to have only had about five pounds on her at the time. Her flat was about 1.5 kilometers or a mile away from the pub. Nobody knows which. Five pounds of what? They get, heavy after, they get heavy after a while, right? Well, she's carrying around five pounds and she's drinking. I bet it weighed like 10. Wait, I thought you said it was in Germany. It is. Well, I'm, then why, uh, I'm why sorry, it's not pounds. pounds. I mess. Damn, give my brother a break. I it's mess. euros, brother. I know I misread the symbol. It is euros, five euros. I do apologize. My gosh. <laughs> so anyway, back to where I was. Now, no one knows for sure which path she took, but we are assuming that the most straight line route was taken. And no one knows for sure because no one saw her leave the actual pub. None of her friends saw her leave the pub? That's what it says. It states. States. States and says. Yeah. Approximately two hours after Miss Liebs leaves the pub around 49 minutes past midnight. On Wednesday, June 21st, her housemate, Christos Corrales, I'm sure I nailed that one, receives a text message from her. Now, the message read, quote, coming later, the game was fun, not against England. Love you so much. See you later, end quote. Now, the text was sent from the Nelheim Antrup area, which is about 23 miles northeast of Paderborn, which is also about 38 kilometers. Now, she, Miss Liebs, did not appear at work the following day, and after she was not in the flat, Frauk's mother, Frauka's mother, reported her missing. Now, police, of course, get her text message records, cell phone records, whatever, and they find that same text that she had sent to Christos the night before, and it does ping near this small city of Neil. Shit, I'm trying to add an I-L in there, and there's not one. Neheim. <laughs> about a 40-minute drive from where she was last seen. Now, according to her friends, Frauka would have had no more than five euros on her, and with her flat so close by, it seemed odd that she would have traveled by car. However, none of her friends or any witnesses could confirm that she left the pub by foot. So over the next few days, Christos received a series of strange messages and calls from Frauka's phone. The first call came the night after she disappeared from an area south of Paderborn. 
In this short call, Frauka told Chris that she wanted him to know that she was fine. When he asked where she was, Frauka simply said to tell her parents that she was fine and then hung up the phone. Unusually, she had only addressed Christos by his given name, Christos, not Chris, as she affectionately called him. Now, the following is a couple of transcripts of messages that were sent by Frauka to Christos. And on June 22nd at 10.25 local time, the call to Chris was logged into the I'm not even about to, there's no way. Bro, I'm trying to talk, man. You got to give me a chance. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was over here like, I just saw that town name and I like broke into a cold sweat. (laughs) What you got? I was was just trying to say that that's a really good way to signal to somebody that something's wrong when you don't want the other person, if somebody with you to know that something's wrong. Or so you're saying it was text messages where you referred to him as Christos or was it a phone call? It was an actual phone call. Yeah, that's a good way to indicate. I was going to say if it was text, it could have been the perpetrator texting and just saw that that's what it was. Un- his name was under. Yeah. But yeah, if it's a phone call and you can hear my voice and I started referring to you by, you know. My government name. Government name. <laughs> it would be a big red flag to me. I'd be like, what you say, sir? What you say? Yeah. Who you trying to get in touch with? He not, yeah. here, he not here right now. I mean, it'd be the same same thing as like, you know, you call me coach, you call me coach, and all of a sudden you call me and you're calling me the coach. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like it's just a diff that that subtle difference that no one else would catch. Yeah, yeah. It's, so yeah, I'm think I'm thinking she's sending up a red big time red flag. I agree with you. So on the call, this I apologize to all of our German speaking listeners. This just some poor North Georgia boy trying to do this the best he can. Hovelhof Drahosen Snellaga. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm not ever 100%. saying that again. <laughs> so Frauka says, quote, hello, Christos. I just wanted to say that I'm fine. Christos interrupts her. Hey, where are you? When are you coming home? She says, please tell mom and dad I'm fine and hangs up. Now, Christos would claim that she only called him Christos when she was angry and that she sounded like she read this text off of something like she was forced to or she was under the influence of some type of inhibitor. She could have been in under the influence of something and having to read. So the next day, actually almost 24 hours, so June 23rd at 11.04 local time, she texts Chris and the phone logged into the Paderborn Doran area. Frauka says, I'll be coming home today. I'm in Paderborn. Love you. Chris immediately lets Frauka's mother know of the text. Frauka's brother, Frank, got an automated text message that her phone was reachable again. So Frank calls her phone. So about two minutes after she texts Chris, she gets a call from her brother, Frank. Now, all of these are bouncing off in the Paderborn area. So Frank says, Frauka, what are you doing? When are you coming home? Frauka responds, I'm coming home, not too late. I'm in Paderborn. Don't ask. I will be coming home. Frank responds, where are you? She responds, I can't tell you. 
Frank says that, that she sounded normal during this call. So the next day, about uh, 2.23 local time p.m., again, bouncing off cell towers in the Paderborn district, Fralka calls Chris and says, I'm not coming back too late. I come home this evening. Chris responds, are you hurt? Fralka says, no, I'm in Paderborn. I'm in Paderborn. I am in Paderborn. So again, there is another kind of red flag. Absolutely. You know, I think he got it the first time. So maybe that was her way of saying, look, you know, I'm, they're making me say, but not really. You know, repeating yourself like that, that would kind of give, if I was the perpetrator, I would, that would send up a red flag for me. I'd be like, okay, she's trying to screw with me. She's trying to signal. So the next day, I'm trying to keep my day straight here. She calls Chris again. Now, this time it's on the other end of Paderborn. Fralka says, coming home today, Chris says, are you in danger? Fralka says, no. Chris says, why didn't you come home yesterday? Fralka responds with, I can explain that to you. Chris says, where are you? She said, I'll explain it when I get home. So two days passed, and roughly this is roughly 48 hours later. She calls Chris while her sister Karen is at her flat. And again, this is on another area, or this bounces off yet another area of Paderborn, so it sounds like she's mobile just looking at the call logs. Fralco says, hi, Chrissy, I'm fine. Chris says, where are you? She responds with, I can't tell you. Chris says, come home. Fralco says, no, I can't. Chris says, but why not? She responds again, I can't tell you. Chris says, are you held against your will? And she immediately says, yes. And then there's a pause and she says, no, no. Chris says, are you afraid? Fralco says, no. Chris asks, who's with you? Fralka again says, I can't tell you. Chris then asks the question, are you tired? Fralka says, yes, very tired. Chris says, do you know that the police are looking for you? Fralka says, yes, I do know. Chris says, how do you know that? Fralka says, I've been gone for almost a week. Chris says, but why have you been gone? Fralka says, you know that, Chris. Chris says, no, did you meet another guy? Fralka says, you know that I wouldn't stay away for a week for another guy. You know me. Chris then tells Fralka that her sister Karen is here and we are all worried about you. Fralka responds with, are mom and dad there also? Chris says, they were, but they're not now. Fralka says, tell them that I love them a lot. Chris says, when are you coming back? Fralka says, I don't know this time. Chris says, why didn't you come even though you said you'd come home today? Fralka says, I'll explain later. Chris says, should I come pick you up? Fralka says, no, that isn't possible. Chris asks if they can meet somewhere. Fralka says, no, that isn't possible. Chris then says, where are you? Fralka responds to this with mom. And then that repeats two more times. He asks two more times, where are you? And she answers with mom. So again, it leads you to believe that she is being held against her will. Chris says, when are you going to get in touch? And Fralka says, I don't know yet. Chris says, get in touch at least once a day. Fralka says, I did that the other days. Chris says, I was really sad that you didn't get in touch yesterday. 
Rauka responds with, yes, I know that you've been very sad. Please give Karen the phone. So now her sister gets on the phone. Rauka says, please don't ask too many questions. Karen says, are you afraid to come home? Rauka says, no. Karen says, we will leave the flat and nobody will ask what happened. Come back. Rauka says, that's not possible. I'm still alive. Karen says, are you with one or more persons? Frauka responds with, please don't ask. I would like to be there with you. I would like to be home. Chris takes the phone from Karen and says, get in touch at least once a day. Frauka says, yes, I will. Ciao. Talk to you soon. Just don't, this doesn't make any sense. If she's really, she's really been abducted and being held against her will. What is the point of allowing her to make these calls? It doesn't change what she's saying or what she's done. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact that the cops are looking for her. Their parents are looking for her. It doesn't change any level of suspicion that she could be being held against her will. All it does is lead to more confusion and frankly, I would suspect that it would cause the law enforcement to be way more active if you have confirmed that the missing person is alive and you highly suspect they're being held against their will by the way they're speaking. To me, it would kick everything into high gear. Yes, and then I would think that even though it is 2006, I think that they would have responded with trying to at least be with Chris or near Chris when these calls come in, because basically they're coming in right before midnight, anywhere between 10 and 11.30, 11.50 p.m. local time. So you would think that would give the police plenty of time to come in, set up some sort of, you know, whatever they need to set up to try to pinpoint or at least get a general area. They know which towers the cells are or the calls are coming off of. So. I'm with you, though. It, this just complicates things so much. It doesn't make sense to me if I try to think in a criminal mindset, especially when we know what happens to her. Why wouldn't they? Why? What, what is the point of allowing her to make these phone calls? But then this, the next question is, if she's not being held captive, and she's freely making these phone calls. What in the name of Sam Hill is going on? I don't know. That's that's a good question. Karen claims that Frauka sounded like she was in a trance, that her voice was slurred, and that she believes Frauka also cried. Now, neither Chris nor any of Frauka's other friends or family would ever hear from her again because a few months later, on October 4th, a hunter would discover Frauka's body in a wooded area near Lichtenau, about 20 kilometers from where she was last seen. She was completely skeletonized and wearing the same clothes that she had on when she left the pub. Her phone, handbag, watch, and wallet were nowhere to be found. Due to the advanced decomposition of her body, no time of death or cause of death could be determined, and no evidence, DNA, or otherwise was found at the scene. Now, according to experts, the place that her body was found was not the place where she was killed. Now, this was a hard one to decipher, but there was a blurb on, I think, Reddit or maybe one of the news articles that I translated, and it stated that, and this comes uh, directly from the coroner's report, 
that no mechanical force against the bones, no evidence of stab or gunshot wounds. The hyoid bone was not broken, which often happens. It is conceivable that she was suffocated. We had no sign of abuse, but we couldn't rule it out either. Socks were missing, but it is not certain whether she wore them. It was very hot on the day of her disappearance. There was definitely no cell phone, watch, or handbag, no traces of drugs in bones or hair. Which is a good thing because those of you that have ever had the old drug test and they take hair from you, anything you take stays in your hair follicles for up to six months. Wow. I said for quite a while. (laughs) Yeah, six months is a long time for that joint to be running around in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Now, police determined that Fralka had likely been held captive in the Neheim area. See, I still wanted to put an L in there. Where the very first text from her phone had been traced and that the other calls were made to divert their attention elsewhere. With so little to go on, police have stated that they could not determine a motive for the crime and to this day one has never been found according to a neighbor of Frauka who was interviewed by the police Frauka had a quote weird feeling she was being stalked but couldn't quite say if it was just a feeling end quote now Frauka told this to several of her other friends but she never made a formal filing with authorities. They only found out after Frauka disappeared and her friends were brought in for questioning. At that time, it wasn't disclosed to the public, supposedly to prevent the stalker from doing something stupid since Frauka was supposedly still alive at the time. In total, there have been over 900 people questioned by police And they have narrowed that down to five initial suspects who all produced alibis clearing their names, and the case went cold. Now, there is a similar case that the press in Germany kind of ran with, and this occurred 10 years after Frauke's murder, and it was in April of 2016. Wilfred... And his ex-wife, Angelica, held captive 41-year-old Suzanne in Bossaborn, which is 50 kilometers east of Paderborn, where she was heavily abused. The couple was taking Suzanne in the car when the car broke down. Panicking, the pair called an ambulance because of Suzanne's bad health, and she died in the hospital. The autopsy discovered blunt violence against the victim's skull and the pair were arrested. Now, investigating the home of Wilfred and Angelica, police discovered another victim, 33-year-old Annika from Dinkelhausen, which is 80 kilometers east of Paderborn, and she had been in the house since 2014. Oh, my God. Dang. Then a woman from Berlin which is 400 kilometers from Paderborn, reported that she was held captive in the same home from 2011 to 2012. Finally, after these two geniuses, pieces of shit, are arrested, around 61 victims were recognized. Not all had been abused physically. Some got financially extorted. Now, the question is, why is this case related to Frauka's case? Well, Bossaborn, where this case took place, is just 20 kilometers from Neheim, 
and that's the place where Frauka was thought to be held. Wilfred's cell phone was spotted at similar locations to Frauka's cell phone when Frauka was making her phone calls. Now, Wilfred also rented motorhomes, which could have been utilized to transport Frauka from place to place without Frauka realizing her location. Police never spotted any connection between the two cases, however. Old Wilfred W. and his ex-wife Angelica were arrested in Hoxte, I'm sure that's spot on as well, which is 22 kilometers from Neheim for killing a woman Wilfred had met through a newspaper ad. Wilfred and Angelica used the ruse as pretending to be this woman's sister, subjected the woman to about two months of torture before she finally died from a blood clot in her brain. They don't go into a whole lot of detail, but it sounds like these two criminal masterminds used this ruse saying that they had done some kind of DNA thing and that they had realized they were related to that one of their victims and they wanted to meet and then they would meet and abduct the female. Now, going back to the original, back in 2014, that victim, it says that the staff at the hospital called the police when they saw horrific injuries inflicted on the young woman. When police raided Wilfred and Angelica's house, Angelica confessed that they had killed another woman who had been stashed in their freezer before being thawed out and burned. Her ashes were scattered along the roadsides of the village. So that's three. They found a body that had been in the house for two years. They took one to the hospital and then got rid of another one. And then there's, well, that's a fourth one. One in the freezer that they burned and scattered their ashes. Jesus, these two. Not uh, not the smartest people in the world and definitely not the nicest. No, don't be taking rides and don't be answering ads in the newspaper. But anyway, police soon discovered that the couple had taken out newspaper ads across the whole of Germany and even as far as Prague, so much that there were only two German newspapers that they did not owe money to. The real number of victims is unknown, though Angelica has confirmed that there were many more than the ones that we have discussed. After two years at trial, the couple were convicted for their crimes. Wilfred was sentenced to 11 years in a psychiatric ward, while Angelica was sentenced to 13 years in prison. Really? I know that the court system outside of the U.S. is a little skewed. But they murdered multiple people, and the most was the woman got 13 years, the man got to go to a psychiatric hospital? That's crazy. I just I don't get it. Anyway, now the proximity of their home to Paderborn made them possible suspects in Frauka's murder. Investigation into Wilfred's whereabouts and the phone activity in June of 2006 revealed a starting similarity with that of Frauka's. Whether she fell prey to Wilfred and Angelica we will probably never know. But knowing what went on in their house of horrors, perhaps it's best that we don't know. Now, there is another theory out there that says that they couldn't have done it. And this is completely 180 degrees from where everybody online that I could translate was going with it. Now, this theory states that the families of the victims of Angelica and Wilfred were always aware of where their daughters were. And then they always lured them and other women 
into the house voluntarily where they would be detained once entering the house. They weren't dragged off the streets at night. In addition, Fralka's age group does not match Wilfred and Angelica's victimology. Furthermore, those two masterminds chopped up some of their corpses with a chainsaw and burned them, not skeletonized their victim and left them out for hunters to find. Which makes sense. I mean, most of the time, the victimology, you may have an outlier, but you're not going to have, I would say you would only have one, and it wouldn't be in the middle of your killing spree. I don't know how what the age of the, well, I take that back. They were in their 30s, mid-30s. So, I mean, I kind of see where this, this theory is going. But to go further, Frauka, on the other hand, was put on the side of the road so that she would definitely be found and where she was visible. And then a cross was placed over her. And Wilfred and Angelica, on the other hand, always showed no empathy or remorse at all towards the victims and did not want the corpse to be found. Could also say they were monsters without any emotions. Whether the cross belonged to Frauka or not, it is a sign of respect and remorse for the victim and the corpse, as sick as it sounds. It is the same as when murderers put a blanket or a sheet over a corpse. Now, Alfred, or Alfred, I've just named him Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) Wilfred and Angelica not only lured their victims to torture, but also exploited women financially. That is, after the victims had completely got rid of their money and were robbed, they tried to get the family's money. Only then were they allowed to make phone calls. So the phone calls were linked to the women asking for money. At no time did Frauka ask for money. Now, the other thing is, Angelica and Wilfred also held their victims for a long time and tortured some of them until they starved or died from their injuries. Well, you never know if they did take her, then she may have fought back or she may have resisted or she may have done something to anger them. Yeah, and it just takes that one right blow and you get a brain bleed and it's lights out. Yeah. Sometimes they then opened the doors to their house so that the victims could flee before they died and thus become a burden on the old dynamic duo of Germany. In some cases, victims failed to escape because they were basically too weak and literally died on the doorstep, stepped, doorstep, or they were basically found in the yard. Another thing about they just keep rehashing in this theory is the exploitation of the victims. They did it financially, they did it physically, and they did it mentally. None of this happened in Frauka's case. And then death was kind of an afterthought after they had grown tired of abusing and financially exploiting them. Frauka's mother stated that the perpetrator may have been overwhelmed by the situation and saw no other way out other than murder, as otherwise prison would have been threatened. The perpetrator also most likely came from the family environment as Frauka must have trusted someone so much to get into a car. The phone calls Frauka was allowed to make never went to her parents, probably out of guilt of the perpetrator because of the acquaintance to the family. Therefore, only Christos was called. 
In Wilfred and Angelica's victimology, the phone calls also went to the parents and the, anybody else to get the money. Uh, one victim's mother voluntarily transferred 25,000 euros to the couple. Now, Frauchler does not fit the profile of Angelica and Wilfred. In addition, the missing items would have been found in that house. And I guess what they're trying to say in that situation is she would have known pretty quickly if they had gotten to that house, if she had gotten to their house, that that was a basically house of horrors. It also kind of goes against it that when she was allowed to make those, make those phone calls, it was bouncing off several different cell towers around Powderboard. All right, so some of these are discrepancies. Some of them are pure speculation, and I gathered these from several German websites that I was able to decipher, translate, whatever you want to say. Even though the first text was probably written by Frauke without being forced to her general behavior that evening was out of character. Friends and family described her as dependable, always on time, trustworthy, and more settled than what she appeared in that text. Well, wouldn't it be out of character for almost every person to literally disappear and then be evasive about what you're doing and where you're going? I mean, to me, that screams, if it's not an abduction, like we suspect, that screams to me drug-related behavior. But again, she wasn't under the influence of drugs, at least. No. Maybe she, I mean... Yeah, it is out of character for her just to disappear. It'd be out of character for me to just disappear. I thought about. And, it. I mean, again, and then start using a conversational tone that she doesn't usually do, being more formal rather than informal with her friends. That's uh, I'm telling you, that's a huge red flag. Right, and then somebody stated that they didn't understand if she did it if she disappeared voluntarily or got into a car voluntarily, why she wouldn't have walked straight home, which was only one and a half kilometers without telling someone the moment she decided to go somewhere. Why not? Since she was so dependable and trustworthy, they're saying that if she did find someone to take, get into a car or go to another bar, she would have texted Christos or her sister or her mother to let them know that she would be coming home late. Yeah. And the fact she didn't tell anybody at the bar she was leaving that nobody quote unquote saw her. Somebody in the bar may have just walked up, put a knife in her back, and walked her out, you know? True. Now, another theory, circumstance, whatever, discrepancy, speculation, whatever, says, how did she get from Paderborn to Neheim with only five euros in her pocket? Taxis are too expensive, and a bus slash tram ride is around two and a half euros for a one to two kilometer. No, that's not right. 200. No, maybe it is two and a half. Anyway. She might have had monthly short-range public transportation subscription, which is common for students in Germany, but very expensive and limited for people doing an apprenticeship. And I'm not even attempting the word for apprenticeship in German. You can only use those short-range subscriptions during the work days and work hours to get from your work to your home. So she wouldn't have been able to use it to go from the pub to, say, another pub or to her house. The other thing that, and this is a good question, how did she charge her phone? Because remember, she had to borrow her friend's battery at the pub while she was watching the game. She must have either charged it 
where she was being held or they charged it for her. But again, you're talking at least a week and she couldn't make it through a night watching the World Cup. Mm -hmm. Again, most of these speculations hint at the fact that she went with someone she knew who also had a car. None of her calls or texts indicated she was afraid. Either she was forced to sound, quote, not afraid, or she might have felt sort of safe, possibly knowing the perpetrator, thinking that they would not kill her. And it might be likely that the perpetrator hadn't planned to kill her initially and only did so because something happened or she triggered the perpetrator. Police ruled out an accident as bones and clothings were in good condition. Now, the area where her body was found also suggests that the perpetrator knew the area since it's a small road leading into the woods, which can be easily missed, according to the police. They also speculate the perpetrator just dumped her under low-hanging branches of a tree, suggesting that he might not have prepared for the disposal of her body very well. The clothing and the bones, again, didn't indicate any violence, which probably rules out shooting, stabbing, or bashing as the way she got killed. One could guess that she probably was strangled or suffocated because the hyoid bone was not broken. And then again, why was she fully dressed? This seems to confuse a lot of people going with the sex crime theory as they would expect a naked victim. Did the perpetrator have any regrets and dressed her afterwards? Well, if they do, they always screw something up. Most of the time, if they redress a dead body, you're going to mess up a button. You're going, something's going, something's inside out. Something's not right. Well, weren't, weren't the condition of the clothes like in better shape than you would expect to find on a skeleton? Yes. That's very odd as well. Like it could be possible that she was dead for a, a while in in the house or something. And they just, for whatever reason, dressed her in her same clothes. True. Again, that doesn't make sense, but allowing her to make phone calls doesn't make sense. Clearly, these people are deranged. Yes. What if the perpetrator knew her for some time and had a crush on her, like the stalker angle, but she didn't like him that much, trying at first to convince her by forcing her to spend some time with him, the whole thing went sour after a week, and he accidentally or unintentionally killed her. Kind of those... I guess I'm going to show you I could you're, what you're missing. I'm going to keep you for a week. And then one of the phone calls, she fucks up and says something. He snaps, kills her, suffocates her, whatever. That could be. I mean, that's isn't the phone call that she made where she said yes. That was one of the last ones she made, if not the last one, correct? Correct. That could be it. They could say, okay, you, you fucked up, and here we go. Now, there was an article in a German newspaper, uh, the Billfield Hulkster, and basically they go through the angle of Angelica and Wilfred, and they go into more depth about the financial exploitations, but the, the only thing that they can tie to that those two is they were in the same area at the same time. Now, it is revealed in that article that Oh, young Wilfred, who was 46 at the time, had registered dozens of cars in his name. He probably extorted the money for this from his victims. It is said that he had more than 300,000 euros at the time of his arrest. 
the investigators are now paying particular attention to the mobile homes or the VW bus that he had. Again, it's kind of her, her age kind of, I think, kind of rules them out and the fact that she was not, her family was not exploited for money because that was their M.O. Now, supposedly there was a six-hour interrogation at the Billfield Police Headquarters and it became clear that Angelica certainly did not know every woman with whom Wilfred was associated with. They accused her as being able to identify some of the women whose photos she was shown, but not all of the photos. Also, it is said in this interrogation that they released the fact that all of their victims' cell phones were found in the house. They kind of kept their cell phones as a, I guess, a trophy. But anyway... I, I mean, this is one of those head scratchers, and it, it's it's worse because there's probably a ton of stuff out there that we just can't get translated. If you get on Reddit, there's two camps. It's either Wilfred and Angelica did it or they didn't. There's a ton of articles, but again, you're going to have to find some way of either translating them or being able to read German. I just... Without knowing a whole lot about this case and just from what we have found, I think it's, well, for me, and it's just my opinion, but I really don't think Angelica and Wilfred had any part in her. Especially, I feel like they kind of, there was a ruse that they used to try to find if their victim's family had money. She was a struggling, you know, basically apprentice nurse or student nurse. So I don't, I don't know, man. I do like the angle of her. If she did get into a car, she got in with someone she knew. But as of this episode, I couldn't find anything where the police have a solid lead or suspects. This one was a requested topic i cannot remember who requested it but i do apologize that it took us so long to get to it i just felt like we couldn't do it much justice but hopefully we did i mean still though i mean it's just i just don't understand i'm just so confused about the events that happened i mean why let her call it doesn't make sense no it doesn't and because it doesn't fit with the M.O. of the, the the couple, they didn't allow the other victims to do anything like that. Well, they would allow them to contact, call their families only to get money. They would they had a thing, so they would be allowed to get the money. That's what I'm saying, but she never... Right, I agree. She didn't ask for money. She never mentioned money. I don't know. I mean, we're, we sit here every week trying to figure out the freaking mind of Clearly in disturbed and insane people. There's, we're not going to get any answers, but it just confuses the shit out of me. Yeah, I agree with you. I just, this one is just, if we have any German listeners, please email us. You can email us in German. I will translate your email. I don't mind doing that. Dude, they're German. You know they speak English also. We're the only 
idiot country that doesn't speak several languages. I know. I got into a discussion with my son about that, how lazy Americans are, because most people know at least at least two, or most American shit, most people in the world know at least two languages, and one of them is usually English. Again, if you've heard of this case and you are not from America, please let us know if there has been anything. Again, that, that message board I found is like Reddit, but man, I, there is just no way I could get it all translated. I even tried to go to the last page and like line by line copy it, and it just didn't, didn't translate well. Well, we get into recommendations. My son and I watched a Hulu true crime documentary, and I'm trying to find the name of it. <laughs> Something with wilderness in it. It's about a wilderness of error. That's what it's called. Well, that sounds interesting. Basically, it was a army doctor who was accused of murdering his wife and two young children at the time. And this would have been, I think, four months after the Manson murders. And similar to the Manson murders, uh, MPs find the word pig written on the headboard in blood. And then later on in the documentary, someone confesses to someone else. And each episode, you end with being more confused than you started because they bounce back and forth. Is he guilty? Is he not guilty? Is he guilty? Is he not guilty? And then by the end of it, pretty much you have a good understanding of what probably happened. But it is pretty good. It's well written and put together. So that is my recommendation, A Wilderness of Error, which is streaming on Hulu. Well, I'm going to recommend an actual movie that we just randomly picked up. We were at McKay's Used Books in Nashville and just saw this random DVD and we picked it up. We don't usually watch DVDs anymore, but it had Antonio Banderas in it. And the movie's called Black Butterfly. And I really, I thought it was really good. Never heard of it before. It's a couple years old. It's pretty new, you know, maybe 2017 or something, but it was. Very good. What's the uh, plot there, sir? Antonio Banderas lives in, like, Montana. He's a bad alcoholic, but he's a writer. got writer's block, and he gets in an altercation with a trucker at a diner, and this hitchhiker saves him. And so he picks the hitchhiker up and brings him home, and then you'll just have to watch from there. So That's you're good. saying he should have used the old line, what's the chances of two serial killers being in the car at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for something now that we finished that little, it's five episodes. They're about 45 minutes apiece, so you can binge watch it in an afternoon if you really wanted to. Uh, there is a book on that case that I recommended, so you'll see that book in the documentary. But it's about all I got, Slappy. You got anything else? Oh, well, you know I don't. Oh, deuces. <laughs>